partnership team for opening up this opportunity for us. Um, uh, we've been, Deborah and I have been coming to Canada, uh, to <laughs> Australia um, since the um, mid-90s and uh, we've just loved this nation and have had an opportunity to minister in many places and obviously to sit under some of the most incredible ministry. We came over here primarily to go um, to spend time with Dad- Dudley, Daniel. Um, I got saved in 1984 in an NCMI church. And I've only been in three churches, all of them NCMI. And Dudley was one of the ones that we had the privilege as young men in our 20s to be mentored by personally. And um, so it was such a privilege. And I, um, it was hosted by Darren and Darren sneaked the word out. I was just going to come for a week. And within a couple of hours, um, ended up going to come in here, which is wonderful, um, to uh, Melbourne Lights Church, to Re- Revolution City Church, and now here. And um, so thank you so much. My voice is a bit grumpy or gruffy. I come out of summer into freezing cold. And uh, now I'm joking. You've got to go to Canada to really get cold. But I'm going from, from winter here to winter us, so pray for us. And it's good to see you. And, and, and Tom and Sandra, thank you so much. And I just want to honor you guys too. You've been amazing people and faithful. And in many ways, this church wouldn't be here without uh, your, your input for sure. And um, so it's, it's great to be here. Um, my wonderful life, wife sends her love. Like I said, we have been traveling a lot. i been in South Africa six weeks and... Just got home for three weeks and are here, so I have to put a picture like the Pope on the back of our church so that they know who we are. And um, it's a wonderful journey and a wonderful partnership. Um, There's a young man who's causing havoc in Canada. We can't wait to send him back. (laughs) I I think his name's Tristan or something like that. Now he's an absolute blessing and. um, but he does miss you guys and sends his love. We um, work him in hard, so you need another year or two to recover. But that's what partnership's about, and, and we're all into partnership. Deborah and I are not looking at how many churches we can go to in the world, but who we can partner with. And this is our third or fourth trip here, and seeing these guys, this beautiful young couple, growing and maturing. And, uh, and yes, to to travel with my friend Brian. Uh, whenever Deborah can't travel with me, she's got health issues too. Um, Brian steps up and he comes along. And um, the longer I'm away from Deborah, the prettier he looks. <laughs> my wife says stick to my notes all the time. And, and um, so I'm going to try and do that because I want to speak on authentic worship, what that means. And just the context, um, we've been in Canada since 97. We planted the church there. And uh, we have the opportunity and have as a church to really to reach out in our city. And we do a thing called Love Your, Love Your City. It's the fourth biggest event in the city now. The mayor often opens it and all of those wonderful things. And I'm saying all of those God is truly blessed us. Thousands of people come through that um, um, every year. We started it in 98 when I arrived. We, the downtown core was 
pretty old and gnarly at this stage. And um, a few guys from Australia and Los Angeles came up to help us do an outreach. So I found a flatbed trailer, towed it downtown, put it in a park that was um, not very much used at the time. Um, got a band, plugged it into the side of the wall the, uh, of the ablution block, the toilet block. And that's how Love Your City started. And we've been doing it for 21 years and grown and grown. But I want to say all of that. Uh, to say one of my concerns um, at Oceanside, and I'm just speaking more to about our church, is that um, we've, as the more I've seen that we do um, some big events, we hope to equip, host the equip in our church and all of those kind of things. And um, especially with the end of evangelism, I was starting to feel that I love your city and the event, uh, the event evangelism um, was something that. Um, we sometimes would walk away, it's really, it's really well, thinking that we've done our evangelism thing. And I uh, started thinking about how church can become a series of events instead of a lifestyle lived out. And so um, these are things that we we um, speaking about at Oceanside. And, um, and we know that um, meeting together is obviously biblical and ac- absolutely necessary. But um, it's got to be more than that. It's to be equipped to live out a walk on a daily basis. And uh, Jesus gives us some handles on how to do that. You see, our lives are worship to God. And authentic worship has to be more than an event, but a daily lifestyle that brings glory to God in word and deed. A lifestyle that is lived out in obedience to Him, His word and His commission. And that serves the purposes of God in our generation. And that conducts itself in a manner worthy of the gospel. We are ambassadors of Christ. And the, the way we represent Christ is that's the people's view of Christ. If they have no idea of who Christ is and we have say we have Christ in us, then, then that's the image they have. And, and um, we often haven't represented him well. But I believe it's a time now, and we're going to talk tonight about the mobilization of the priesthood of all believers. But um, Peter, in 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12, we'll look at that a bit more uh, tonight. He says this to the church. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and aliens to abstain from sinful desires which wage, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives. This is what I've got highlighted here. Amongst the pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, we're always going to be accused of doing things wrong, but they may see your good deeds. And this is the thing I've got on to Oceanside, and we're on a mission. Um, we'll talk about that at the leadership time tomorrow um, with regards to that. And glorify God on the day He visits us. This was written by Peter, and I'm glad he's got a good memory because he heard that on the Sermon on the Mount. He would have been sitting next to Jesus, and in Matthew 5, Jesus says, Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good deeds and glorify God. You see, our lives are to be worshipped that brings glory to God. And, he, and, he, and uh, then we look at Paul. I'm just Some of these things I'm just touching on, but I pray that you consider them as we are and as I am on a daily basis. We see Paul writing um, the prison epistles. Um, he's in jail. 
uh, writes to the church of Ephesus, uh, Philippians, Colossians, and, and uh, Philemon. I think he wrote that one at the same time. And um, certainly a guy with an example who was living a life that represented God well. And he encourages the three of the churches, um, Ephesus, uh, Philippi, and Colossae. He uses this one word in all three of them, and that is to live a life worthy. To live a life worthy. He has other themes to all of the books, but this comes up in all of them. And he says, to the church of Philippi, he writes in Philippians 1.27, whatever happens to me, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. We know that Paul is in jail for his, his, this church was planted in jail. Ten years later, Paul's back in jail, and it's still called the epistle of joy. I don't know. It's just an amazing thing. He doesn't complain about it, but he says because of his chains, he's been able to spread the gospel. He used every opportunity and, and, and to represent Christ well. And he says, then whether I come or see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together uh, as one for the faith of the gospel. He then in chapter 2 goes and speaks about the humility of God, Jesus Christ, the servant God, that took on the nature of the servant. And he, he uses him in a sense to me as, a, as an example uh, of living a worthy life there. And then to the church of Ephesus, he writes this in um, Ephesians 4, 1, 2, 3. This is an amazing context for me because a uh, few, few verses later, he's going to be speaking uh, on, uh, on apostolic ministry and the fivefold ministry gifts um, that would be uh, imparted uh, to the church. And uh, I think that he writes this here about unity, and we'll look at that now, is because often um, when leaders come through, we can um, feel that we may be overlooked in some way and all of that. But God, as you'll see today, God is not, um, we, our identity, identity is not in what we do, but in who we are. And we'll talk about that tonight. But he says, as a prisoner of the Lord, I then urge you to live a life first worthy of the gospel, now worthy of the calling you have received. And like I said, here he goes, and, and we do this by being, keep, by being completely humble and gentle. Be patient and bearing one another in love. And another, the, verse, the next verse, he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And um, that's an amazing um, passage for me, especially verse 3, that unity takes effort. I've been in this a long time, and unfortunately I've been um, through churches that have gone through tremendous trials and tribulations because of the lack of unity. It's happened to us at Oceanside and wherever we go. And I just want to remind us that we can't always have it our own way. But for the sake of unity, for the sake of unity, we will lay down our agendas and um, pray about it. 
maybe even speak to the leadership, and, um, and maybe it is God. Maybe it's what God wants to do. But often uh, in churches, I, I've unfortunately, and definitely not in the churches I've been to here, but have been involved in conflict re- resolution. And when you speak to an eldership team that goes sideways or the church, you can see valid points on every side. But that's not the point. The point is that we humble ourselves and we make an effort to work it out. Because the amazing thing about unity, and now Deborah said I'm already off my track here, is that um, it commands the blessing of God. Psalm 133. And... I've looked at that word, and it does mean command. In, when God created the universe, it says, and he breathed or spoke. Uh, but when unity comes, and the context of this uh, psalm to me is the unification of the 12 tribes under J, uh, um, David after many years of civil war. And I have this picture of God speaking to God. I think often what is written here is actually the triune God hanging and speaking to each other. And I see God is looking down as, as the, after years of your bloodshed and hardship, his people are coming together again. And I think it's like God speaking to the son, God the Father, to the Son and the Holy Spirit and saying, Behold how good and pleasant it is. Man, it warms my heart. We know that in our own our families, even their unity can be stretched. So when you get a church of a couple of hundred and so on, um, it can be stretched more. But if we want to see the commanded blessing of God, and we see that in 2 Chronicles uh, 6, 7 around there, uh, where um, the dedication, where the children of Israel come together for the dedication. And what happened there is the Holy Spirit came down in such an anointing that people were in the streets were falling over and putting their heads on the ground, worshiping God. Fire came down. The next there's others, but the next one significant to me with regards to the Holy Spirit uh, is in Acts 2. They were together in unity in one accord. Only 120 of them. Same thing happened. Fire came down. People in the city were overwhelmed by this and 3,000 saved in a day. And so uh, the enemy knows that. He knows that. How many of you know that the enemy knows the word better than you? He tried to use the word against the actual word. That's how arrogant he is. And, um, and he knows, and Jesus spoke, that a house divided will not stand. That's not even an option. And, um, and so that's not where I'm going. It's not that there's disunity here, but God the unity. When people grow, our church has ex- experienced tremendous growth in the last few years, way beyond that what we can cope. And it's messy. You know, it's messy. You know, parking is way down the road. Some of our people, I'm kidding you not, are parking about a kilometer away on a Sunday. And um, the, the, uh, some of the people who have been there for a while who were prayed with us for growth is saying, it's not the same anymore. <laughs> well, thank God for that. And so, yeah, so that's just something, just a little nugget for us and for me and our church um, in eldership too and so on. But then the church in Colossae writes this in 1, 10 to 11. He writes, For this reason, ever since the day we have heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Why? 
so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. Amazing. Worthy of the gospel, worthy of the calling, worthy of the Lord. And please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work by growing in the knowledge of God. Each one of those He gives some handles to on how to do that, so you can read that. But I want to shift a little bit to Isaiah. And um, like I say, this is something that's been percolating in me for our church. And I just felt God when I came here, this is the fourth church that I've been in, in, in three weeks now. I just felt that this word was relevant. So please don't take it personal. You know, there's um, way more fingers looking back at me than you when I do this. And, but um, just something here I picked up in Isaiah 58, um, where the second part, part of the, the, the passage I want to read is how to live that worthy life. But in Isaiah 58, the children of Israel in a tremendous turmoil, we know that. God raises up Isaiah. And God sends Isaiah in Isaiah 58, we're going to, um, verse 1 to 12, um, to give a message to his people. A people who had lost their way and were looking for answers. And God in his grace through Isaiah points out the problem and then offers a solution. When God points out a problem, it's not to bring condemnation, it's to bring conviction and, and give us opportunity to change. They're asking questions, we'll see that right now. And God says, okay, I'll tell you the answer. And so uh, he says to Isaiah, he so, seems like God was a little bit frustrated, if he ever can be. And he says to Isaiah in verse 1, shout it out loud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people the rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sin. For day after day they seek me out. They seem to eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for me to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed it? Yet on the day you're fasting, you do as you please. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife. Uh, you cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on God. I'm not speaking about this church, please. I'm speaking about certain things that we may, in our church, need to look out for and guard against. I believe our church is going well. I have a, it's a privilege to be here. But I just wanted to hear um, what God says here. He says, is this the kind of fasting I've chosen? Only to, for a day to humble yourselves. Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed? Or for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast a day acceptable to the Lord? So I was reading that and um, it wasn't my favorite passage <laughs> of scripture but I thought about it and I thought that they did a lot of things right and I made a list of them they gathered together they sought God they were either eager to know his ways they asked for just decisions they fasted and they set a day aside a day of the Lord to humble themselves and worship God amazing but there was a problem it was all about them. They wanted the blessing for themselves. In verse 6 to 12, God reminded, reminds him what authentic worship of him is. 
And he says in 6-12, Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice? I believe as God is raising up the priesthood of believers, you see the biggest threat to the kingdom of darkness is not a few leaders like myself or anybody else. Some would call them superstars or whatever. It's not leadership worship. It's a terrible thing that. But it's the mobilization of the priesthood of all believers who understand who they are in Christ, the authority they have. Because when a leader falls, a, a whole movement can fall. But when one of us fall, we just pick each other up and we carry on going. God is bringing to the church in the end times. The enemy is so afraid that the, the believers will truly believe what God says. And he's raising up a faceless army with the, head of, with the face of Christ. And when somebody gets healed, they who did? We have no idea. Just happened. You know, I, somebody now, they heal a few people and, and people flock to them and flock to them. And that's not their fault, I don't think. But God wants to do it through you and all of us. But we have to check our hearts and make sure that it's in the right place. So to loose the chains of injustice, to untie cords of the yoke, to set the press free, to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, and when you see the naked, to clothe them, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? And he says, if you simply do those things, make a list of them, then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. And I believe that's going to happen in your mixture. I believe that. I believe God has positioned you in this place. He's bringing the nations to you. And just like he could start with 120, 10, uh, then, in fact, he started with 12, 12 what people thought were ignorant people. He wants to do that through you and through us. And he says, then you will call on the Lord when you do that, and the Lord will answer you will cry for help, and he will say, here am I. Amen. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and the malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hung hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land, and he will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well Water garden, I love this. I love gardening. Like a spring whose waters never fail. Rivers of living water. Your people will rebuild the ancient rules, ruins. You will raise up the old age foundations. You will be called a repairer of broken walls, a restorer and streets and dwellings. And this is what I believe God is calling the church to do. There are many broken walls. There are many dwellings and cities in desperate need of repair. And we don't even have to know the Bible to, to do this. I tell you, some of the most incredible evangelists in our church have been saved a few weeks. Well, what happened? I don't know, but God changed me. I don't know. Come along. I'll show you. He changed me. And people can see. You see, you can argue doctrine. You can argue all of that denominations, worship, or whatever. But you can never argue with a transformed life that's been transformed by the power of God. There's no answer to it. My wife got saved two years before me. 
I came back from some military service and she was saved. Maybe she went to church to pray for me. I don't know. And I was, and I was horrified. This is in the early 80s. I was horrified for two years. Um, and I loved her and all of that, but we were on different paths. She said, listen, this is my life. <laughs> and so every now and then I'd go to church with her and hear the gospel and then I'd make fun of it and so on and so on. But one day God captivated my heart and um, I got, in a sense, radically saved because I could not, what irritated me most about Deborah was the joy. <laughs> Why are you so happy? Oh, whatever. And you get on. She never even asked me to come to church with her. She said, you know, you, you've got to find your own way. The second year, this is how crazy it is, just a little testimony. You meet my wife, she's an amazing lady. But um, in the second year, I remember just before Christmas, we both had good jobs. She said, you know what? I feel God's calling me to full-time Bible school. I didn't even know what that was. So she asked, what do you mean? So she said, I feel I want to do this. The church had started one. And, um, and I said, no ways. This is in November. No ways. She had to, uh, it was starting in January. And... Um, I'll remember it like anything because when those words came out, I could never take them back. Boxing day, we sit in there, all the kids, and I said, maybe I'd had a few too many beers, I don't know. But she said, I said, you know that Bible thing, do you still want to do it? She said, yes. I said, you can. And I walked out. Well, within half an hour, I don't even know on boxing day, she found she was registered and in that. <laughs> and before I knew her, she was in Bible school. But that's how God worked, and, um, and it became contagious in my life. I didn't come easy, but I thank God for His grace. You see, in God's very first conversation with Abraham, the law of first mention, He reveals His intent for His people. Genesis 12, 1-3, the Lord said to Abram, go, uh, go from your former country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great uh, nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. And often we stand, stop there. But this is the, his intent, so that you will be a blessing, so that you will be a conduit of my glory, so that you'll be a conduit of my resources. People talk about the end times release of wealth into the churches, and I believe it's going to happen. But I just wonder whether he could really trust me with those riches. I've seen many people, I've prayed for many people in my church that have no jobs. Pray, 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 they get a good job. And then, slowly but surely, from the front row to the back row, to the cottage, to the fishing boat, and, and so on. And I love all of those. I love all of those. But blessed to be a blessing. And he says in verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. Don't have to worry about doing God's business. Sometimes we get, let God be God. He can work in their lives. Just love them. And all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. That was his. All nations. All nations. 
It sounds a bit like Matthew 28, 18 to 20. All authority has been given in, unto me, and I want to just underline, therefore go. You know that we talk about disciples and all of that, but it starts with therefore go. Therefore go in my authority, in my power, and so on. And he says, in, and he reveals this to Paul under the new covenant. Very similar intent that he had for Abraham. And he says in, in Ephesians um, 3, 10 to 11, his, is, his intent is that now through the church, the man of old wisdom of God will be made known to rulers and authorities and heavenly realms in accordance, verse 11, with his eternal purpose. This was before the foundation of the earth. This was established. He speaks about that in Ephesians 1, being adopted and so on. And, uh, and, that, and he, which, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Interesting thing that he accomplished it in Christ, and Christ left the church, and we have to finish the job. I have no idea why God took Jesus home after only three years of ministry. I would have left him there 60 years or whatever and then taken him home. But it was through him. All he had to do was prepare 12 people. 12 people that when the Holy Spirit came, they could in some way handle it. And that's what he did. If Jesus was go, uh, would never be invited to a church growth sem seminar. Because often he grew the church backwards. He'd go from 5,000 back to 12, and then it would ask him, are you guys going to leave me too? You see, he knew that it, he had to impart this in them, and it would be through them. But he says this, you guys, I will never leave you. And surely I'll be with you till the end of the age. I go with you, in you, and through you. Unschooled ordinary men. The interesting thing about Jesus didn't sit in the, in, his, in, in the temple praying for disciples to come to him. He went and found them. He went and found them. And he found the most weirdest people. And that's what freaked the religious people out. And if you can choose me, you can choose anybody. And certainly Russ. <laughs> you see, it's important that we... How much time have I got, Russ? Until Jesus comes? <laughs> okay. It's, it's important that we gather together to honor and worship God, to, to be equipped and encouraged by one another. Hebrews 10 is very... So it's not one or the other. But we need to understand that this is like the huddle. I've, I've been to a few footy games. So it's, uh, sorry? You tell me. Geelong. <laughs> The first game I ever went to, and they gave me a, I was at Matt's church, and I mentioned that I, I nearly wasn't allowed to preach. <laughs> but the interesting thing about that in, in hockey, I'm from South Africa, and I love ice, there's no ice hockey, it's just hockey in Canada. What kind of hockey do you, you were? Hockey? Oh, grass? No, ice. And... These guys are phenomenal athletes and very tough and so on. And I remember sitting with my son-in-law who plays hockey, has been a goalie. He's a stats guy. He, like, he'll know everybody, where they fit in the drafts and all of this kind of thing and why and where. And, 
and so on. So I'm sitting there, and we had these two twins, uh, Hendrik and um, Sedins. Hendrik and? And Daniel, that's right. They've now retired. Incredible players. They took us to the Stanley Cup final. Unfortunately, we didn't win it. But incredible players started in their team at 18 years old and left in their 30s. But I remember watching them playing, and they would always play on the same line. And, and one of them made a mistake. And I said, you idiot. How could you even do that? Camera says, hey, you can't even skate. <laughs> what you talking about? <laughs> but that's what spectators do. That's what spectators do in anything. I was at the footy game telling the guy I've been through three games. Even this one, we were at the one on, on, on Sunday afternoon. I can't believe it. I can't believe he missed the post. I can't believe this. I wish they had, my, they had earpieces and they'd just call one of us onto the field for two minutes. And then take us off of, with an ambulance. But that's what it is. Um, this is the huddle. This is where we come to encourage one another. Hebrews 10. What for? For works of service. We come in here and we, we get beat up and, and so on in the week. Or we, we may sin and fall. Let me tell you, we all sin and talk, fall short of the glory of God. God is a gracious God. And He loves us. And the enemy will use those things. Yes, we have to deal with them. And so on, but he uses those things to contain our effectiveness. And I said to our church system, something that the, how the enemy contains effectiveness. And so let's say the effectiveness of this church is the size, in the context of the city, is the size of the stage. And we're all up and we're all in church and we worship him, it's important, and all of that. And we do that. And in a sense, it can be peace, nothing happens. Ah, oh, this is so lovely. God's here. We're all getting along. But then one day somebody says, hey, let's advance the kingdom. Let's advance the kingdom. And he says, no, that's your territory. That's mine. Now we're going to duke it out. And all things go. Have you ever seen everything? When I tried to do something for Jesus, all hell broke loose? Well, that means you're doing something for Jesus. He's afraid. And when we humble ourselves and submit to God, the enemy flees. He must flee. But God puts in 1 Peter 5 an interesting thing, and after you have suffered a little while, He will restore you. The problem with, for me when I ask God is, but God, you told me Jesus was coming back in a little while, so how long is this little while? Uh, but He does do that, and He roars like a lion. He's not one, and He brings us back into our box. Even the box could be our church building or whatever, our home groups. And in a sense... I believe and we can, in that once you're saved, you're, you're saved. The problem is, were you saved in the first place to me? And we can talk. I don't want to get into that. But I, in a sense, I feel he's lost the battle for us. I believe he knows that. But he's worried about our mates and all of that. And so we have to be aware. Ephesians um, 6 says, do not be unaware of the devil's schemes. He's a schemer. You're going to go to work. And uh, somebody's going to cut you off, and you might use a word that doesn't um, mean glorify or faith. <laughs> and you were on your way there, you've got to have a friend. And you get there, I can't do this. I'm just useless. I've done it again, Lord. The Lord says, yes, 
So did all of my prophets and, and all of my kings. They did stuff again. But, but me, get up and do it. And the enemy's thinking, yeah, well, if that worked on, on him once, I'll try it until it stops working. We have to press through these things. We have to have a unity where we can say, listen, I am messed up, man. The biggest issue with pastors, and I thank God for the way we, we, we do things, is because we, most of my friends now, well, a lot of my friends are pastoring churches all over the world, but they go through stuff. And they, in a sense, a pastor that's not in team has nowhere to go to. So I get calls. I've made calls. My marriage is not working out, or this, or this and that. And I have guys that trust, that I can trust and will pray and not manage my sin, but help me through it. And that's where this place has to be, on a mission. mission. You see, his intention has always been to raise up an army with a deep perfection for him and a passion for the lost. A priesthood consumed by the love of Jesus, his bride, and a passion to reach the lost. A holy nation commissioned by God, empowered by the Holy Spirit to go and make disciples of all nations. Understanding that disciples are made, not born. They're born again, but then we make disciples. A priesthood filled with compassion that hears and responds to the heart of God. We see that in Isaiah 6 and Romans 10. Who will go? And who will I send? The cry of God. See, His intent is for us, for our lives to be worship. For us to be, and we have this on everything we have. It's our, not our vision station, but our mission statement is this, to be a gathering, healing, training, sending church. And I tell our people, our new people, it's like a conveyor belt. And it's not stopping, so you're going to get out the door one of these days. But we gather together to encourage one another. The last to all of that. And there's a process that people need healing. And some people, even in the body of Christ that have been whacked by the world, just need healing. They don't need to do anything. They just need love. And they just need to sit in the presence but all through that, there's the equipping and the discipling so that we can send them out where? Well, to our mission field, outside the door, yeah. our primary mission field. The wonderful thing about being a missionary, and we all are missionaries, that God pays us to be missionaries. You could work at McDonald's and an um, unrighteous company is paying your salary so that you can be a missionary. Wherever you are. <laughs> Isn't it awesome? And you can get free burgers maybe or, or whatever. God places us, determines the exact time and space place we, so that through us men would reach out and find Him. That is our primary mission field. And how do we do it? Through love and good deeds. We create an atmosphere of trust where the Holy Spirit too can begin to move upon them. And even sometimes it just starts with this, uh, with this one thing. You seem so different. You seem so happy. So often, often we are quick to talk. And I grew up in the times in the 80s where um, evangelism was compulsory. It was terrible and brutal. And I went out with a guy 
when I've just been saved. And he was like, and he was standing there. So he says, okay, I'm going to follow him around. And, we're going to, and he said to a guy, Jesus loves you. And he dropped an F-bomb, the other guy. And, and this guy said, well, then go to hell. I'm looking at this. Even me and a young Christian, I don't want to be around. I never messed up. I don't want to go near that guy again. But it's through love. People caring. We have some things, initiatives that we're putting in place. And um, we can talk about some ideas tomorrow night maybe. But you see, God is looking for a church that worships and glorifies God through their lifestyle. And while I've been working on this and thinking about this, is um, I was thinking of the song by Matt Redman, Heart of Worship. And uh, I've asked the worship team to please do that, uh, sing that now. And I pray that none of this is coming through anything condemnation because I'm standing here with a big log. I'm standing here going back to our church and we are going to implement these things. We are going to create um, through the eldership. I said the elders, uh, we often say to our worship team, we've, we're really blessed. I, I don't know, I'm so embarrassed about in a sense. And I say, guys, we've got to get on the streets. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. And more than love your city. And they say, yeah, 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 but nothing happens. And then I realized that most of them don't even know where to start. So I said to our elders, let's create opportunities. So um, we've been asking around, and a friend of mine who's a Christian, his brother just bought a pub downtown called the Camby. And I said, hey, Scott, do you think we can do worship there on a Sunday night because the pub's normally empty? So he's not saved, but I'll ask him. I said, we'll pay him. We'll rent it. Well, I got a text while I was here. We can use the Camby. So we're going to do worship down there while people are drinking beers. I think it's the same place that Jesus would be in. He actually made wine to make them even happier. <laughs> the point is, we have the anointing. The point is that worship is a two-edged sword that inflicts vengeance on the nation. The Holy Spirit can come while they drink in there. And we're not going there just to, to entertain men. We are wanting to go there to impart some of the love of God and allow the Holy Spirit that He does best convict the world of sin righteousness and judgment to come and we want to be there and i don't know how long i don't know whether he knows what he's in for but uh it's going to be fun and those are the kind of things trying to look outside of the box and not be afraid to mess up or make mistakes let me tell you they go to hell anyway they if they if they get, like um, we read in here, that they, if they get mad with us like people, no, it, it, although they accuse us of being doing wrong or being idiots, they will see the good deeds and the love. Feeding, um, things, we'll talk about that. And so, um, if we could bow our heads for a moment, if you could just come up. I, I have such faith for this church. Um, I believe that I'll just say this. Hold on to your hats. You ain't seen nothing yet. And be prepared. Trust God for bigger facilities. Trust God for opportunities. I believe it's going to happen. I believe this man's an incredible teacher of the Word. They love God, the elders. And I believe that 
those are the foundations that we're going to build on. But we don't want to just look at a foundation the rest of our lives. We want to see the church being built. And so I, what I want to do is just pray over you. Please don't. So I haven't done it. Let, let me tell you, I'm preaching this and thinking I don't even feel worthy of doing that. But if we could just bow our heads because I'm going to just pray for a fresh anointing and a fresh courage to come over all of us, including me. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, of power, and a sound mind. God has invested in us the incomparably great power that is for us who believe. That same power is the working of His mighty strength that He exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. Ephesians 1. I was reading that in context of the persistent widow in Luke 18 a while ago. And Jesus finishes that with the widow. And He says this. like when He commends her, but He says, However, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith in the earth? And for me, I said, God, am I becoming an unbelieving believer? I know it's there. I know it's your word. And so, Holy Spirit, I just pray right now. I just thank you.